As always, our show is sponsored by Memoria Press. You can find our curriculum at memoriapress.com. Welcome to Classical Etc., a show from Memoria Press that dives into the philosophy, culture, and heart of classical education. You're in the studio with Shane Saxon. Welcome to another episode of Classical Etc. I'm seated with Tanya and Paul. Now, there's actually a reason I wanted to talk with you two specifically about our topic today, which is the goal of education. Tanya, do you think it would be accurate to say that you're more practical than Paul? Um, I think if Martin were at this table, I would say that Paul and I are the practical ones. Oh, but since Martin's not at this table... I'm probably I am I don't know that I'm more practical than Paul. I really do. I mean, Paul is very practical and he does yeah. understand how the classroom ought to work and Cheryl's vision and all sure. of that stuff. But but he's able to go to a higher level than me philosophically. Sure, sure. So that maybe makes him feel less practical. Honestly, we should have this conversation when Martin's here because talk about impractical well maybe we, don't, we have it without him just to, maybe we <laughs> need to have that practical conversation yeah, we'll bring him and, and, and do this at some no point. i think yeah. paul could say anything i think paul could go anywhere and say anything that would come out of my mouth that mm. paul i do think of paul as being the colleague that is closest to to understanding what the classroom ought to be wow. Now, Paul, would you consider yourself practical or philosophical as a thinker, typically? What is your habit of mind? I reject your dichotomy. I love this. I, I reject that Give me distinction. The uh, no, I think, <clears throat> I think that, I think what you're getting at, there are people um, that shine in the practical and they don't need to get into the weeds of the philosophical to actually do things well, mm. right? That's, I think I would say that's. I, I, right honestly, here. I think it's me. A lot um, of the time. Okay. Um, and, but, you know, and, and you have the stereotypical absent-minded professor who's so deep into philosophy, they can't remember to put their, their shirt on, you know, the right way. That would be Martin. Know? And so I've never actually seen him put a shirt on the wrong way, but I'm waiting for that day. That'd be wonderful. Um, so, but, but I don't think it needs to be either or. Sure. I think there are, I, I think when, when we educate in the, in the way that we're trying to, I think that's, we are trying to form people that can live in both worlds. Mm. And I think that's been the strength of Memorial Press as you had Cheryl, who is eminently practical and, um, but could understand the philosophy, but that she leaned towards how do I do this in a classroom? Mm. When rubber meets the road, what does this actually look like? And you had Martin who was thrilled to dig into the philosophy of it and and helped inform some of the things we were doing by that philosophy. But we also know that when rubber meets the road, you know, he's going to be further up in the clouds than the sure. actual road. And so, Paul could go either way. But I think your follow-up question is going to have to be, because you asked me if Paul was, if I was more practical than Paul, would be to ask Paul if I'm philosophical. Yeah. Is Tanya more philosophical than you? Uh, I would say no. Hmm. Oh, okay. And I, I, I was actually shocked by the hesitation Tanya had when you were like, is, is, is Paul more, what would you say, practical than you? I thought she would have, well, absolutely not. Well, we're obviously using these terms very generally and we could define <laughs> right. them and be more careful. But I think this is a good uh, entree, is that the right word? A good start into our conversation about the goal 
of classical education, the goal of education more broadly. Can I say one more thing about Let's hear it. Paul um, mentioned Cheryl and her vision, and she she really did have both. She read a lot of philosophy and really tried to educate herself, but her main goal was to make this education, which which can get in the weeds, um, accessible. Mm-hmm. And sh- that was the whole purpose of the Memoria Press Conference. I remember those first meetings we had when that was her vision was to have a conference. And she had been to so many different classical education conferences, and they were all up in the clouds. And she said, that's not, people need some of that. But what they really need is to know, how do I on the ground get this done? How do I teach this and be successful so that our students can truly end up with a classical education? And so that was her driving force, but she really did have both. Yeah, that's good. Um, So where we're going is the goal of education. But before we get there, I do want to stop to ask you if you've been reading anything else recently. Paul, I know that you've been hunting a lot the last week or two. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you take a book out with you into the field? Normally I do. Um, This year we have so many deer that I don't really have a chance to (laughs) pull out the book. I just kind of sit there and then boom, like five minutes later, I have something I'm otherwise occupied in. Uh, No, I've decided since I only have these little snippets of time um, recently, is I've I've picked up short stories mm. again because that's a good way for me. As we've talked about, that I, through the summer I have trouble finding time at home to read with the farm, and then as we're kind of getting into winter, but I still I'm I still have a lot to do outside. And we've it's wonderful the, the weather's gotten colder. We we yeah. get that fire going in the front room, and then we don't want to leave the front room, and so we just sit there. And what do we do? We read, and yeah. so. It's good, but when when I know that, okay, I only have a little bit of time, rather than trying to sit down and read a long chapter of whatever it is, um, I'll sit and read a short story. And so I picked up Graham Greene. I've got one, um, I've got a, a collection of stories from um, Honoré de Balzac that I want to get into, but Graham Greene is like, if I ever need a kick in the pants, start reading again. You really like I Graham Greene. I love Graham Greene. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's what I've been... Um, kind of getting back in the habit with and then um and i i have to admit i still haven't finished don quixote you haven't no i i i'll go make a significant like section ahead of it and then it is a book you can put down yeah i put down and then i because you know it is yes yeah 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 tony what about you I'm reading, I'm currently reading wendell's new um book wendell berry's new book um of Port Royal stories mm-hmm. um, about the life of Andy Catlett. And um, it's called How It Went, mm-hmm. which I've, it's the name of a story. And I still, I'm puzzled by the title of the book. I find it really hard to remember, but in true Wendell Berry style, it's very good. And I just finished this really um obscure book that i bought at a bookstore in london that was published it's from 1960 and it's by a lady named nancy mitford who i'd never heard of and it was a strange little book but (laughs) i did it was beautiful i bought it because it was published by the bookstore as being like one of their premier publications um that you know it's numbered in the front but and it was just pretty. You know, sometimes you buy books because they're pretty. 
Um, and I've got to read. I've got to read Orthodoxy because I thought Lee was going to disown me as a friend and colleague when I admitted to her that I'd never read it. I mean, it never crossed my mind. It was a big deal that I hadn't read it. Have you read Orthodoxy? So I, I've read chapters from it multiple times. Mm. I actually started it last week and okay. I read the first three chapters well, because I've read selections, but I've never read it front to finish, uh, front to back. I read Heretics front to back, but never Orthodoxy. Okay, well, Lee thinks it's just required yeah. in the lives of sorry, people Lee. she knows. Mm. So um, I guess I need to say sorry, Lee, too. I need to finish oh, you it. You haven't read it either. Well, yeah. we've got to read it. Yeah. We have to read it for Lee because if not, she's, I mean, she was just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I do. I mean, I do find his, even just in those first three chapters, he has the bit about the insane man's logic versus the sane person's logic. And I've read that section multiple times. And as mm-hmm. I'm reading, I'm like, this is, it's so clever. Right. It is actually in, very engaging, even though mm-hmm. he's philosophical. So I, there's no reason why I haven't read it. I just haven't. Well, do, so I find it much easier to read fiction and mm. much more enjoyable. And I've made so much fun of you for reading mm. nonfiction mm-hmm. and it being your preference when really you could turn the tables on me because every time we talk about this, I'm reading works of fiction that come out first and just struggling to get through nonfiction. So, <laughs> well, that's the difference I'm between you, you and me. So mm. I would never turn the tables on you. Oh, okay. So maybe you're more classically educated than me, right? So I actually am still, the primary book I was going to mention though is I'm still working on The Beautiful and the Damned by Fitzgerald. And I had an observation about this book. Have you read that, Paul? I, I have not. Now, how thick it. is this book? It's not, it's not huge. Okay, okay. No, I mean, I'm reading on audio, so I don't know how many ba- pages, but I'm in book two of, I think, four. Um, but in the beginning of it, there is this description of the the main story is about um, a, a kind of intellectual who doesn't have a job living off of his father's estate or grandfather's estate. And then the essence of beauty, this woman he tries to fall in love with. Um, and there's this kind of tumultuous relationship. Mm. And it seems to illustrate maybe better than any other work I've ever read, this kind of parallel spectrums that for girls who are single, there seems to be, slightly amused and de- like decimated and for guys there's tortured and ambivalent and this is just illustrating that tortured mm. uh personality of just the is she isn't she in a way that's very amusing huh. and resonates i've got to read it because i've got i i need to read something else by him instead of just continually saying i don't mm. like great gatsby when i haven't even given anything else a shot that's unfair no. Back to the topic at hand. The Memorial Press uh, front page of our website says that the goal of education is to create wisdom and virtue or to inculcate wisdom and virtue in our students. But what does that mean? Why? How, how is that actually done in education? What, what, what does that look like? You well, want the you want philosophical Paul or practical Paul? That's a good question. All of Paul. Oh, okay. Well, let me, I think I'm starting <laughs> philosophical. Uh, first of all, I think it's an attempt to express that we want to form the entire human person, not just their academics, mm-hmm. right? That's why we talk about wisdom and virtue. And in, in some ways, when we when we say wisdom, I, I this is I feel like this is a half baked thought, but I feel like it's right. Um, the the sort of the the end result of a liberal education is 
is one in which somebody is wise, right? They reason well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they reason from good first principles. And uh, so, but, but then you have the, the other part of the human person, which is their action, right? We're not just floating uh, immaterial minds, right? Those are called angels. We are, <clears throat> we are, we're incarnate. We have flesh, right? And so we are making decisions on how we are to act, um, not fully based on reason, but based on emotion and based on, um, you know, the circumstances at hand and all of that. And so we also are, are intending to form that side of the human person so that they know how to think and they, and they have habits of right action. And so that that's, I think the, the large goal. And obviously in, in books, we can only do so much of that, of doing both, but that is our intent. And when we um, are involved in the actual education of a child, say at Highlands, that's where we have, where we are through everything else we're putting into place. A lot of that other stuff is to focus on that virtue, on that character formation right. and that right, right action. Tanya, how would you unpack that phrase? If someone asked you, what does it mean that you're, Classical education inculcates wisdom and virtue. How would you unpack that for someone? Uh, well, I would say the same thing that Paul just said about it, um, and that it is more. I do think sometimes we, I've tried to be more aware of this. Sometimes we really do talk about it in terms of what the curriculum is doing for us, which is it's doing a lot. Um, the all the like the famous men's stories, all the literature, the children's literature from the very beginning is full of all those lessons in humility and just modeling for students what it means to be courageous and virtuous and um but it real but we really have to take it further than that students aren't going to necessarily pick up on those things by themselves so we've got to be actively involved in their education and in the training that we do with manners and and respect and how why do we need to respect each other and what does that look like and so all of that is a part of it it's not just the curriculum for us we're a book company but but it really is more also about the pedagogy in the classroom and how we treat each other and how when I'm walking down the hill and I'm on the sidewalk that the students actively move over and give me space to walk rather than me having to go to the grass because they're coming at me like a mm-hmm. herd. Mm-hmm. You know, just stuff like that that we are constantly working on and that you have to work on at home too. Right. All that It really is character formation mm-hmm. so that then whatever they do with their lives, whatever vocation, that they do it ethically and morally and, and that they do it with gladness in their hearts. And that they do feel like, regardless of what they're doing, that they are fulfilling God's purpose for their lives, which is, I mean, that's really what it is, is equipping them to fulfill God's purpose. Can I, um, I'd like to challenge you a little bit and say, Let's hear it. a little tiny blurb on the front of a website, it misses some things, right? Mm-hmm. By design, right? It's just trying to be brief and that's what the podcast is for. And get that's w- right, right? So just the conciseness required, right? So the one thing that I actually want to point—I was thinking about this. So 
the other day, was it yesterday? I think it was yesterday. Or two, two days ago, we had a training with Michelle T. Fertiller. We're doing this, you know, internal, getting everybody up to speed on primary, on, on what we do in the primary years. And she used, as an example, when we we're talking about enrichment, the story of Ferdinand, and then the music piece, which the name's escaping me, but it's from Carmen. Victoria Dorsey. Thank you. Yes. And, and so while she was talking, I just kind of pulled it up on my phone real quick because I was like, I want to listen to this when I'm done. Well, I forgot about it. And the next morning I'm bringing my four-year-old nephew in for preschool. And generally he like asked to listen to Moana or something. And which, I mean, they're fine songs, but I thought, hmm, let me turn this on. And so I started talking to him about bullfights. And this is kind of this, this, you know, th this is meant to express that. And I thought this, he was just going to go, you know, right over his head. And, and so we're listening to it. We start talking about other things. It, that song finishes. So I turn off the music cause he had started talking and I figured, well, we'll just talk. And after a few minutes, he says, can we listen to that song again? And, and I just realized how alongside, I mean, I know theoretically, and I've seen it happen in kindergarten classrooms where these kids, you know, they're, they're mm -hmm. happy with it, but I, I didn't expect it to really enter him in that, those three minutes of that song, right? With no other, we hadn't read the story of Ferdinand. He, I asked him if he'd read it. He didn't know the story. Oh, you need to read it. To I do him. need to read it to him. Um, and, and yet it just, it really like it hit him at his, you know, at his core sort of like, this is beautiful. Mm. And so then, it, whatever the the playlist was, it continued on, and there was there was another song that that um, I I can't name them, but I recognized them, which sounded more like a horse race, right? And so I just kind of expressed this: this is another song. Like, what does what does this make you think of, right? And but it was all classical music; it was all forming his what he sees as good and what he likes. And so as we're talking about virtue formation, and you know, knowing how to act. But also it's forming their appetites. It's forming what what do they want so that what they like is automatically edifying to them, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which most kids don't get. Yeah, speaking to that point, in broadening that phrase, inculcate wisdom and virtue, you can unpack wisdom and virtue. You said in your answer, you linked wisdom <laughs> with thinking rightly and virtue mm -hmm. with character formation. But there's a broad history, even the word virtue is a translation of that Greek word arete, which means excellence more broadly. And so there, there's no end to kind of exploring that sentence mm -hmm. to see the nuances of it and how that actually works its way out in our schools and our classrooms. Mm. Now, on the other side of defining it, you could also ask, what would an education that doesn't inculcate wisdom and virtue look like? What are the other goals that people are putting forward and saying, this is what our education should accomplish this is what it's aimed at what are some of those aims that maybe are are fine but they're not the best aim for your education i think that um we've talked about this before martin is very opinionated about it um just you know that now education appears to be about vocational training and tracking students very young like you're really good at math so we're going to put you in a stem track and you don't really have to take a lot of English classes anymore. Um, it's just like, I feel like that's happening a lot in college too. Mm -hmm. I don't think my son's gen ed classes 
were as heavily as heavily um, balanced as mine were. Mm. I think it was really easy to get because I was not a STEM person, but I still was forced to take two math classes and two science classes. And I think he had to take one English class, maybe. And very quickly, he got into the classes for his major, which was psychology. So I feel like he missed quite a bit. But I went to a liberal arts college that had, you know, we had two years of forced humanities five days a week, which I didn't appreciate at the time and would love to go back and do now. So it was different. But he went to... I mean, is did he go to a liberal? What is it's a liberal arts college, supposedly, right? They call themselves that, yes. Yeah. So yeah. I just think it's changed. Yeah. Well, uh, I also wanted to um, say, first of all, I, I like to ascribe the best of int- intentions to everybody around me. So I don't, I, I don't know why. I, I, when I look at other models of education, or and sometimes I think we just don't have a model. Right. So some schools, they just don't have a model of education. And what, what they're thinking is, is we, we don't have the time to worry about character formation or anything like that. When our reading scores are poor, we need to focus on that. Right. Whereas we would say your reading scores can, can skyrocket when you actually have good behavior, right? You need both. Right. But that the goal of, of that kind of school is, is purely an academic, um, getting students comfortable in certain academic spheres, right? Whether it's language communication or mathematics or whatever. And they see that as the only essential thing they need to accomplish. And it, it, it just, it's only serving the part, only a part of that person and not the whole of that person, I think. And it's, it's mainly, it's making it so that that, I think the accomplishment of that has much less meaning for that student. It sounds like you're kind of saying two things there. One, that a lot of times the goals in education aren't malicious. They're just not thought about. Mm -hmm. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. But then second, it also, that leads people to just focus on what's directly in front of their face rather than having a broader vision for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. And I think there are, don't get me wrong. I think there are people out there who, think deeply about education and decide they want a different goal than what we have. Sure. Right. Uh, but I think by and large, because we're, we're right probably at the tail end of, of living off of the fumes of what education was a hundred years ago. Right. But, but nobody's people are still saying, yeah, we need to learn how to read. Okay. As long, like that's, that's, a, that's a start. Right. But if you're saying, we need to teach people how to be good factory workers. Well, reading may not actually be the most important thing there. Right. Um, and so I think there's, there's still just, inf- um, there's still, uh, what's the word I'm going for? It's, a the, an impulse or, uh, there's the, our, our tradition is still, pushing on what's happening it's propelling but, us forward but lightly a bit. so yeah. lightly so and in those people that don't have clear a clear educational philosophy and i think that c- 
could all I think that could be true of any school. I do think you have to make a deliberate effort to think about where your curriculum mm-hmm. is going and what your ultimate goal is. And if you haven't done that, and if every teacher is just left to determine his or her own curriculum for that year and nothing ever connects, it's it there's no way it's going to be as good. I personally as a teacher would have loved that freedom to be able to choose the books that I love mm-hmm. to share with my students and to be able to spend as much time as I wanted to on literature and maybe not as much on science. But I wasn't allowed to do that. And it was because it wasn't about me. Mm-hmm. It was about my students and what they needed and where we were going and what they would be expected to do in high school. And so I had really specific things that I had to do in the classroom, specific ways that I had to teach. And and looking at it from an overview, it wasn't as enjoyable to teach The Hobbit to me as it would have been to teach so many other things. But it was necessary for the students. And it it's you know, it's not about me. It's about this ultimate education that is so valuable that we have to do the hard work to make it happen. It's not easy. And I think a lot of, even though many teachers have a lot more freedom than we have ever had, they are also defeated. They feel defeated because they they recognize that it's not working mm-hmm. and they're exhausted and burned out. And when, if they were just, if they just had I think everybody needs that goal, that that final goal of what are we doing here? Mm-hmm. What are, you know, that, I hate to say company goal, but really for a school, it's just, it, that's what it is, that vision. I don't think teachers are necessarily given a vision of what where we're headed. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we struggle with that, educating our teachers to, to see it's, it goes beyond your individual classroom. You know, teaching is very isolating. You're in that classroom all day with those students, and you can easily forget mm-hmm. that when they leave you, they are going somewhere else, and they need to be prepared. And, you know, you can see it in a teacher that's a little a little less structured. And this, so, you know, our primary teachers do such a good job um, training the students. But if one teacher then lets down that, goal and lets things get more loosely structured and is getting less done because of behavior problems because of that lack of structure and control then all of that work before it has been is wasted mm-hmm. your point about losing vision is really interesting because in, in some ways for a school to cast a vision and the vision that we're trying to give to people through inculcating wisdom and virtue it really is an act of the imagination. It's saying this possible goal for your students to be wise and virtuous is possible if you pursue it. I mean, a lot of times when we're in schools observing, one of the things I struggle with the most is not necessarily that the things that we would recommend are hard that mm-hmm. to communicate to someone. Most times it's really that the teacher can't really imagine a world where the things that we're saying could actually happen. Mm-hmm, right. like, I, no, my students just won't do that. And that's just not how they're going to respond. And I don't think reciting at that pace and with that amount of memory is actually possible. And that's the real obstacle, not necessarily the mechanics of doing it. Right. Mm-hmm. So we have to cast the vision also, mm-hmm. but also which Cheryl 
really understood, and now we're coming back full circle, is we have to make it possible. Mm. We have to show people that it is possible and show them how to do it. And that and also that it is baby steps. Mm-hmm. You're not gonna you're not gonna turn a school around overnight. It's gonna take years to do. Um, the schools that can do it best are the ones that start with a kindergarten and they have one grade that they need to work with and they bring those children up all the way and started you know an additional additional year every year an additional grade every year mm. that's the easy way to do it but most schools if they just decide we're going to do it a different way we're going to we're going to instill a classical christian education in not just the curriculum but the whole package then it's going to take several years. Well, and I mean, I would also say, I mean, in like way that in a school, you've got, you know, the administration, the teachers, the students, like everybody's got to get used to whatever that shift's going to be. It's the same way in homeschool, right? Like if if you're deciding that you're going to completely shift the way that you've been schooling at home, you've got to do it little by little because your kids are going to wake up one day and go, wait, what? What just happened? That's right. Right? That's and so you've got to say, okay, this week we're going to do these two things differently, mm-hmm. you know, and just slowly Or we're going to start Latin this year. Right. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily classical history, but we're going to we're gonna dip our foot into Latin. Right, right. So let's return to the theoretical for a second. And Paul, one thing I've heard is that some of the shift in education in America came from people who began to view the goal of education as maybe a tool for social change. Mm-hmm. How would you interact with with that, and how how has that shifted our attention away from training students towards wisdom and virtue? I mean, I think you're right that the people people have viewed education that way, but really, what we're talking about is is if if we think that there are good things to be passed down from our forebears, then that's what we should be passing on education rather than trying to throw that out the window and say, well, we're going to do it this way and train up the next generation to, to do that. I mean, really, we just have a fundamental assumption of is there good stuff in the past, right? And that, I think, determines how you're going to educate. And so there, if it, And I think I think our forebears were wise enough to say things in our world change. So if for us to say this is the only way to do X, Y, or Z, um, what that means is in a hundred years when things have changed, if we're still saying we need to do X, Y, and Z, and we don't know the principles behind that motivated that for us to live by those principles, then we're going to end up with people that, that can't function. So, um, so that's why they were focused on the liberal arts. Let's teach you skills. Let's teach you how to reason. Let's teach you what the good fundamental principles are. And then you have to make your own decisions based on where you find yourself. Right. And, and so, I, I mean, that's, that's why I, and I think I've told this story on podcast before when I was reading, the Jesuits plan of studies from the 1590s and they would spend three or four years just studying Latin for five or six hours a day to the point where the kids were fluent in Latin and it's about seventh grade, they'd turn around and they'd 
do everything in Latin. And I turned to Mrs. Lowe and I said, Hey, we should do this. Right. And her response to me made it very clear to me that she was thinking about classical education for the 21st century, where we find ourselves, what are these principles? How do we motivate ourselves to do that? And so, um, the, the, to use the term progressives, right? The progressives are trying to say, we're going to change culture by changing education, right? I think what they're doing is they're denying that we have good things that we want to hold on to. And they're saying, we don't care about reasoning from the first principles. We're trying to say that in this day and age, this is the only way that we can do this thing, right? So they're not trying to teach kids how to think. They're just trying to say, this is what needs to be done, mm. right? Or this is what you need to think about this. Whereas we're sitting here going, well, you, you, you just need good basic principles and you need to know how to think. And then you reason that out, right? That becomes something that then you can stand strong on and you're not pushed to totally change your belief system based on the winds. So you're, you're kind of saying if by societal change, we mean human flourishing, then why cut ourselves off from the past in the process? Yes. Yes. And, but I mean, by societal change, the, the people pushing for societal change are not pushing for, um, different, they're, they're pushing for very specific changes, mm. right? They're not trying to say, oh, hey, you know, we, we believe, you know, we were being taught that, you know, um, I don't know, a point is, a point is breathless width, right? Like it's, you know. And, you know, but we want to completely change the way we see reality and we're, that's no longer that thing. They're just saying, no, we want to, we want to say that two plus two equals five, right? No, it doesn't. Right. But if you know what two and two is, then you know, it has to equal four. Right. I, I don't know if my, my, I went from geometry to, to a real You really did. But, I'm with you. but my point being is they're not, they're not arguing for different underlying principles they're just saying we don't care about what the principles are this is what we need right and th th this this end result and what we're saying is teach teach people how to think mm. and then argue about what that what what your premises are to get to that end result and then we decide but that's not something that you shouldn't i think that that is unjust to a student to try to use them to change society you should be teaching them how to think and then letting them as adults be a part of that conversation. Mm -hmm. I think that's Amen, a, brother. Oh. He's um, preaching. Yeah, I'm hearing it. Um, now, Tanya, he, he's arguing that we should go to the, root ourselves in the past, not cut ourselves off from the past in order to, and then implicitly subvert our goals in the process. What about someone who says, but the past has a lot of problems in it. There are a lot of issues. You, you read me a quote that maybe speaks to this. How do you respond to the person who says the past, we, we need to press forward and innovate and create and, and do new things and try to conquer the, the frailties of the past. There is no better way to learn about the mistakes made than, than the, the, the real mistakes that were made in the past by human beings. There is so much, I mean, it's all been, all the mistakes have been made. Mm. We just, if we study the past, then we're going to recognize them and hopefully not repeat them. But if we block all of that out and we've got some kind of utopian past, we're not going to ever learn anything. And then we are likely to, to um, repeat mistakes 
can I read my quote? Please read it. So this is from an essay that it's not really, it's a book review that, is it a book review? Yes, that um, Tracy Lee Simmons did about Kenneth Clark. You know, have you watched Kenneth Clark's Civilization films? I had no. to watch them in college. They are um, they are so good. I mean, they're really, we should have them. Yeah. I don't know how available we are. they are, but we should have them. Um, but Tracy says about Kenneth Clark, he showed that we have a duty to approach the past sympathetically, not because crime and guilt don't reside there, but because the faculty of understanding is unlikely to kick in if not sparked by humility. Mm. What does he mean by that? Not sparked by humility. Mm. Not sparked by humility that we're going to be, we are going to be humble if we look back and see all the mistakes that we could easily have made Mm -hmm. that other people have already made but do we need to make them ourselves to learn from them i hope not (laughs) well and i think he's also saying that we can't understand if we're not humble right right that's right the very beginning of wisdom comes by first saying i want to i want to understand i want to I'm not approaching this from an arrogant Mm -hmm. perspective. I'm approaching this from what can I learn from? I only know that I know nothing. That's right. right. That's right. And and I think that's that's so true. When we're talking about sort of the goal of education, right? Like, not to be arrogant about our humility, but we're (laughs) sitting here saying this. We were educating our children for thousands of years. Why cut ourselves off and then say no? We're going to do something completely new. When we can look and say, okay, how did they do it? Let's learn from what they did and what they, what mistakes they made in order to, to educate our children well, rather than just saying, oh, blank slate, let's go make all those mistakes again. Okay, here's the other quote you just said that I loved. In an era of cultural strain and educational collapse, what greater service could anybody render than to point out anew what is and has always been worth knowing? Mm-hmm. That's go. us. Amen. Well, we're trying from a from a humble from a humble stance. Yeah. So let's end on this. We've talked a lot about the goal of education and where it can go wrong for a teacher, an administrator, a homeschool parent that's trying to execute this vision, this year, this goal. What are a couple of tangible steps they could take to consider their goals and to align themselves with a good goal for education, inculcating their students with wisdom and virtue. I think a good self-exam is a good place to start and to try to say like, okay, what are we actually doing? And if, if an outsider were to look at what we're actually doing, what would they assume our goals are? Right. To try to do that on yourself. Then you start to go, Oh, I'm, Maybe, maybe we as an institution or we as a family, we're, we're saying we're going to do this thing over here. But when you actually look at what we're doing, an outsider would say, well, you're not, you're not meeting that, right? Or what you're doing isn't helping that cause. And so then you say, okay, because I think a lot of people, a lot of people do have what they would put up as their goal, right? And, and so then, okay, now what do I need to change practically to make sure I'm headed towards that goal? I think a good, starting by sort of examining yourself, I mean, that's, we talk about accreditation processes or whatever. You start with study yourself, figure out where you're at, and then let's talk about what we can do to, to change and make those steps. And let us help you. Mm. I'm not saying we have it all figured out, 
because we don't or and everybody knows that that uses our curriculum because it it does change. It's not stagnant. But the basic foundation is still there as it has been from the time Cheryl started all of this. And so use what we've I mean, again, go back to to the past. Use what we've done. Don't you don't have you're not alone. Partner with us and let us help. Um, I do feel like we can provide good help. And so I don't think anybody needs to feel overwhelmed or um, incapable because I think um, we've made it as easy as possible. Go to our website and read some of the articles about classical education and Latin and why. Read Climbing Parnassus by Tracy Lee Simmons. There are so, but, or just call us. And let us help. Go to the forum, our forum, and listen to the wisdom of all of those women and men using our curriculum and the you know the struggles that they've had and the mistakes they've made and learn from those. It's you know it's an ongoing um, process that we're still trying to figure out. But we can at this point offer a lot of help. Nobody needs to feel like they're alone in this. It's great advice. And and the, I would say the Sodalitas and teacher training videos from past years. Yes. The, yes. And also, if you can't teach something, if you really feel incapable, I mean, I was incapable of teaching upper level science and math. You may feel incapable of teaching writing or incapable of teaching literature, whatever it is, get help. Get um, Use the online academy. Use those master teachers. Um, as you can. And, you know, there's just all kinds of help out there now. Educate Yourself, which was another podcast. Absolutely. Well, this is a great conversation. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Classical Etc. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you liked this episode, consider leaving us a positive review and sharing it with a friend. A huge thank you to the Memoria Press Podcast Network for hosting our show. Be sure to check out all the great podcasts there. As always, I'm Shane Saxon. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Memoria Press Podcast Network, providing a classical Christian perspective on the world of education. To learn more about Memoria Press, visit us at memoriapress.com. To connect with us, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you next time.